Hello, listeners. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I am your founder and host, Jeff Openshaw. Thrilled that you're with us once again this week. So we, as we will dissect the world of Latter-day Saint news, uh, which is it's just the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I've been doing this for 13 years, and it just never stops. You, you always wonder. There's some weeks when you say, There's, nothing's going to happen. There's nothing good. But something still reveals itself. So we've got a good show for you this week. Lots to talk about. Uh, up to and including a man who's apparently read the, the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. Um, and, his, and he talks about it in his obituary that he wrote. And I'm very excited for that. But in more pressing news, of course, some follow-up to the abuse scandal stuff going on with the church. Uh, some racial slurs to BYU game. A noted LDS historian passes away. Some temple groundbreakings. And some updates to uh, more requirements for BYU staff. Uh, to work there in terms of uh, the sort of the religious and lifestyle requirements uh, of them. But before we get to any of that, I'd be thrilled to welcome our guest host to the show. Hasn't been with us for a little bit. I don't know, uh, six, seven months, maybe around that. Anyway, folks, author Soraya Wilson has agreed to come back and be tormented by me. Soraya, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. What's uh, going on in the world of fun and flirty romance? Utah County, what's what's the haps? Oh, um, I had a book come out a couple of months ago called Cinder Nanny, which I think you told well. me about that one. A little bit, yeah, it's really cute. Um, that was fun. And then my next one coming out is called The Chemistry of Love, and that comes out in February of next year. And I'm very, very excited about that one. That one should be a lot of fun. And I actually called on a BYU alumni to help me out with that because I made my heroine a cosmetic chemist knowing nothing about cosmetic chemistry. And uh, yeah. So I, I, I just usually do research, you know, and I'm like, does BYU yeah, or sure. UBU have like a program, you know, and found this girl. I mean, I'm like BYU cosmetic chemist. And it led me to this woman's Instagram and she went to BYU. She's a cosmetic chemist and she was so nice and so sweet and answered all my That's questions great. and told me all these stories. So it's very authentic. <laughs> Although she'll probably she go, oh no, this is all wrong. <laughs> now, now, so I'm assu- does this one actually... I'm assuming it doesn't actually take place in Provo. You were just calling upon oh, no, local. No. I was just thinking. There's I, know, I know you don't. You don't, you don't write now. I know you don't write to a, a Latter Day Saint specific audience or anything. I, I do not. Sure. They are a difficult people to write for. <laughs> for a little persnickety, I guess. Huh? No. Um, <laughs> when you've been accused of, you know, priestcraft when selling a Book of Mormon fiction story, you know, it makes you persnickety. So. That was kind of how you got your start, too. That is right? how I got my start. Yeah. You know, so. It was priestcraft? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I was profiting off the gospel. So. Oh, yeah, because no one does that. <laughs> Never happens. I mean, I mean, what is Deseret Book, people? I know that's it's, I don't even, like, I get it. Like, in a perfect world, I don't know. Should Deseret Book be completely underwritten by the church and all of these books are just offered to us for free because they're beneficial to us as Latter-day Saints? That would be awesome. Publishing is still a for-profit industry. What can you do? Well, and it, I think we've talked about this before. It's it's that, but there's also like this, I'm in a very weird spot in the industry because I write for a national market where I am so tame for a lot of readers and they're like, this should be for young adults. And I get these LDS Christian people who are like, oh my gosh, you are going to hell. You are the worst person who has ever lived. What kind of smut is this? And, you know, so... It's a yeah. it's a difficult I mean, line to walk. I mean, when I read Roommate and the whole premise is male and female cohabitating yeah. as friends, I was like, what are you endorsing, Soraya? <laughs> is there no honor code in your life? Um, yeah, I get yeah, it. That's a big problem authors have. You know, it's like, what kind of stuff are you endorsing? And I'm like, yeah, all those people who write those serial killer books, you know, I mean, they're totally for homicide and, you know, it's a bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, it's a fine line in the world of writers, creatives, I, I suppose, between, and for some, for what is just work versus actually endorsing something. I, this is a, it's more tangential. I remember years ago when the actor Kirby Hayborn, who's been in a lot of Latter-day Saint films and stuff like that, he did an ad for some kind of beer commer- company, a commercial. And the the Mormon community like lost its mind because they're like, right. Kirby, what are you doing? You traitor. Why are you? You're shilling for the the evil liquor my friend and his defense he was just like dude i'm an actor and i'm just like trying to get paid and take care of my family 
I get the argument. I totally do. I, I, I can understand where people come from because they say, well, yeah, you know, yeah, but you're like endorsing that you're furthering the evil work of this thing. And in his mind, he's like, I'm just trying to act, just trying to do my thing. You are trying to write and tell interesting stories. And I know yeah. you still have your stand, and you still have your standards anyway. And I have my standards, and people may or may not agree with them. And I will tell you, like I've said before, that there are LDS writers who are writing romance that are very explicit and are super active, and there's no issues. And I've I've talked to them. I'm like, how do you? I'm just curious. How do you do this? How do you? You know? And they're like, I, I am curious. Yeah. What, you know what's like, your what's your thought process here? And you know Charlie Homeboard, I love. She writes fantasy. She I went to a class that she did on love scenes and books. And I'm like, this would be interesting. And she's like, oh yeah, put them in. And I'm like, Charlie Holmberg, what are you doing? You know? And I love her. And but, you know, that was her perspective. This is part of the human experience. I'm writing about the human experience. That's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I think it should be included. So, you know, people have their own perspectives and uh, I have an author friend who has a severely disabled son who the only way that they could support their family was through her writing. And she had to put love scenes in. And then when she got famous, which she is now, she's a very big name. And she got big enough that she now dictates what goes in her books. And they're all very sweet now. Um, but she felt like very much prayed about it. And this is what God wants me to do. You know, wonderful woman. I love her to death. So it's it's very different. And it's just my line. But, you know, sometimes as a people, we like to judge. So... And uh, I hate that you just said that because it leads into what I wanted to ask, which might sound that way. But have you ever known any to like get into hot water with ecclesiastical leaders or anyone like does anyone raise a like raise an issue and be like, hey, you're 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 peddling smut here. You're dragging down the kingdom like this is an issue. Have you ever seen that happen? No. Did it happen? I, I, I thought I would argue there would be a fight because I would be like, I am making people happy. I am making them their lives easier. You know, I yeah. It takes them away from their troubles for a few hours and feel very called to do it, feel very compelled to do it. Um, and I haven't, like I said, there's all kinds of authors who are writing so much worse than me who are enjoying their full fellowship, no issues. So it becomes down to art. What do you portray? What are you trying to tell with the human experience? I don't know. It's different for everybody. So That's really interesting. Okay. Well, let's get into some interesting news here. Late breaking, at least in terms of at the time of our recording, um, so, uh, you know, we, we've, we've tracked over the years, BYU's, especially in the past year, year and a half, has updated a lot of their standards for employees there, right? Like before it was, you know, what, uh, what Temple recommends were encouraged, but now they're required for new hires and they want everyone to say, you, ha- you have to have an active recommend to work here. You understand the rationale behind it. The church is, the church, it seems like is trying to kind of like, uh, I don't know, crack the whip a little bit at BYU in terms of faculty and how they act and what they espouse and what they put forward uh, as, a, as a front, as part of the culture of BYU and all of that. And there were some that were concerned about it because I said, well, yeah, but if you have to have a temple recommend to work there, that means you have to be temple worthy. And that means if it's as much as like you slip up on tithing and your bishop denies you a temple recommend, then you're out of a job. Um, we're kind of we're kind of doubling down on that here. So apparently the church is, or the church rather, BYU is now going to require new hires um, to waive their right to clergy confidentiality. And of course, this is very much in the news because we've talked a lot about with the abuse stories, the nature of clergy confidentiality and what can stay between clergy and, you know, and, uh, and a worshiper or not. But essentially, they have to agree that they're cool with there being an open door between BYU administration and one's bishop. That's the gist of it, according to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Which is an interesting place to be in. You're willfully saying, like, if I confess something to my bishop where I'm having trouble, I'm doing so, unlike any other member of the church, with the understanding that bishop could go and talk to a school administrator about my problems with X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. And, you you know, you could fill this in and understand how this could become uh, troubling. Uh, to to others. Obviously, if you're going to be a BYU professor, these are the standards. You're making the choice to teach there. No one's forcing you to teach at BYU, all the classic things we could say. But I do wonder about kind of what the end game is here. You know, like we go back, it's been a year since Elder Holland gave his famous talk when he kind of uh, picked on the uh, valedictorian who, with school permission, uh, came out from the podium and all that kind of went down. And there's this seems to be this this desire to really kind of purge BYU and get its faculty kind of in line with some kind of a standard, which 
again, standards, good. We want standards. We want to have standards. It's the Lord's University. I get all that. I just know like for myself, this is one of these things that would make me feel uncomfortable because I can't imagine if someone is struggling with whatever it might be, how much harder is it going to be to want to go talk to your bishop and work through some stuff if you're worried about also losing your job? I think for many people, having their job, being able to put food on the table and all that and professional satisfaction uh, is going to trump the the desire to talk to your leader. But uh, I'm not in that position, but that's I, I could see how that could happen. That's how it comes off. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, awful to say, but, you know, you have some power trippy people in positions of leadership and what happens when they start using things against people because it makes them more powerful. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think humans are so fallible. It, it always makes me kind of uneasy when we start giving a lot more power and authority to people over others, because I think it kind of goes to people's heads, to be honest, sometimes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that just, that I, I'm with you. I can see where it's, it's hard. I don't know the whole clerical thing. I guess we'll get into that with the, you know, the church's statement about the Arizona case and the abuse story. Um, yeah, it's, it's a I, weird, di- it's, it's a, it's a, almost a bizarre dichotomy in that sense, because yeah. we're, we're telling the importance of that, but for BYU employees, well, well, this does, it doesn't apply here. Um, Maybe it's the thing I just, yeah, I, I, you know, they've got some quotes here, you know, from Michael Austin, some other people and, uh, you know, some other thinkers within the uh, academic Latter-day Saint space who are not BYU employees, but a lot of them are concerned about it because they just say like, look, this is like someone could confess something to your bishop and it becomes part of your professional record. Right. Which if so, fine. Like, hey, you know, BYU is, uh, is an extension of a theocracy more or less. That's the idea. But for me, it's more just that I don't mind that. I don't mind the fact that you're supposed to live by certain standards to go to BYU, to teach at BYU, all that makes sense. But I think it kind of crosses a weird line when all of a sudden your bishop can play a direct role in whether or not you can have your job or not, especially because your bishop is supposed to be an ecclesiastical leader. He's not a professional leader. Your bishop, that's not the bishop's job. It's not what they do. But here they are holding the keys, as it were. Yes, that's interesting. We'll see what comes to it. This only dropped uh, today at the time of recording. And of course, it is from Peggy Fletcher Stack. I do think the article kind of presents only one main point of view. I mean, they have a quote from Carrie Jenkins, who is the BYU spokesperson. Um, But she mostly declined to comment on how the change might affect like pastoral counseling for instructors and staff. So they're saying she just wouldn't talk about it. So I've said it before. I've sometimes wondered if Carrie Jenkins is a real person, but I think she exists. I don't think she's just a bot, but I'm not sure. Should have her on the show. Oh, I'm sure she'd love okay. to come on. I'm sure it would be a rollicking good time. I mean, yeah. be like, hi, I'm an alumnus. Let's talk come about talk lighting. Me. Let's talk about the things. I don't think they'd touch us, unfortunately. Probably That's not. Thank you. Anyway, so weird story. We'll keep we'll keep tabs on it. I'd love to hear what you guys think. What we might be missing from the discussion here, but uh, we'll see what comes. Yeah, um, to kind of follow along with that, with the church following up on the abuse story, and I know you've discussed it, um, uh, and I have my own feelings about it. I am appalled by the entire story. Um, I read a man on, on Twitter who was a bishop in Arizona, and he just talked about, he said, I for him to be excommunicated, he said there were at least 20 men in that church who knew what was going on yeah. and didn't say a word. And I'm like... I told my husband, I said, I want you to know now, I'm just telling you now, that if I'm ever in this position, I am going to be excommunicated because I'm going to the cops. Like whatever way I have to do this, if I have to write an anonymous letter, you know, to save that child, that's what's going to happen. You know, if a church authority tells me you're not allowed to tell the police, I'm going to say, that's nice. <laughs> Guess what? Um, I, I'm The whole thing is just awful. And I feel like the church had an initial response, which was not great. And the AP article yeah. with the church's lawyers, some of the stuff they said, I was so appalled. And I just felt like, you've already failed this little girl once. Give her the money. You know, make this right. Um, you're not to blame for it, but you could have stopped it. You could have helped her. And there had to be a way to do it. I don't believe there wasn't a way to do it. Um, and that's the so- thing. I, I've wondered with like, because now the church has a second statement out there. Yeah. 
and we're nowhere in here. We're, we're all looking for a little bit more empathy, a little bit more man. Yeah. Like we, like we, we work hard to put rigorous policies in place, but there's still cracks. And this yeah. is a, and this reminds us of that. And we want to work harder to ensure this does not happen, to double up on our train, to find things we can change. I don't know if it's just because some of that's tantamount to an admission of guilt in some right. sense, so they won't do it. Because even then, like the church, I can't see it would be criminally liable. A civil suit, sure, you could see something like that. That's what's happened. Yeah. But um, you know, this was this this was bad, terrible things that happened with church members, not on church property, not because of this or that, but because you had bishops involved who did not report it. And you know, we, we've talked ad nauseum about yeah, about the Curtin McConkie staffed helpline and all that stuff. But um, I have to think that's the reason they just don't say it. But I'm kind of with you, like you know what, or you eat it. You do a payout and you move on. Because I really think that the church is going to get hurt a lot more from members on the bubble who might see this is un- this finally a reason to just kind of just just give up, to yeah. just stop, to feel like the church isn't like doesn't care enough about the right things here, cares too much about its image, even if that is not true. But the optics of it are bad, and I would think ch- the church would be more concerned about the long term ramifications of this. And honestly, I hate this sounds really cynical. But if you're worried about like paying people out in the precedent it sets, you're also going to lose a lot of tithing income from members of the church who stop paying and stop coming. And that's going to add up too. Not that it's like every member's paying millions of dollars, but still. Uh, and I, I don't know what the amount the church has, you know, whether or not those stories to be believed about the amount of money they have sitting in an account somewhere. I'm like, but if it's even a little true, set aside a fund, put $200 million into a fund. That's the money to pay people who have gotten hurt by things like this, right? Like we can do that and have it earn interest. I don't know. Like there's got to be a way to financially get around that. And like you said, uh, going along with that, that there was an article recently about a judge limiting the privilege defense in Arizona in the case. Mm-hmm. He basically came out and said, this isn't privileged because he posted it on the internet. He has no expectation of privacy because he publicly put it everywhere. So you are not allowed to claim, you know, penitent clergy privilege church and you must turn over all your records and we get to depose the clerk at the excommunication you know thing and the bishops and so it'll be interesting to see where it goes from there but yeah I, this is so far from being over and i thought i know the church does not want to have to turn over the records which i'm sure they have um but yeah th- there's got to be a better way of dealing with this kind of stuff because you know i I think when we put stuff like this into the darkness and kind of hope it goes away, I, I feel like that was for me, not it's probably not fair to say, but like with the Catholic church and the, the clergy abuse and the, you know, the child molestation that was going on, it, you know, I'm like, why don't you just own up to it? Why don't you just say, we're sorry, we'll pay you lots of, you know, let's try to rectify it. However we can, we made a mistake. We messed up. And um, I don't know. I feel like when you're the church that's guiding towards truth and light and following Christ, we should be, headed that direction you know we should have done more we should have i don't know i thought i don't don't know how these men in this case live with themselves i i could not like it reading about what happened to those kids was like one of the most appalling things i've ever read um yeah and i just i i couldn't live with myself so it's it i don't know how that works but it's very difficult and i i think a lot of things are about to come to light that i don't know that yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when that when that happens because it will. And kind of like you implied, like I don't think this is our spotlight necessarily. Like this is not clergy abuse per se, right. a la our Catholic friends. But it should be a, a significant wake up call. And I am, from someone who's worked in in public affairs a lot during my career, um, I, <clears throat> the church's first, like you said, the the first uh, press release was frustrating. And many yeah. of us said this, this told us nothing. Like you're saying AP, it's, it was basically gaslighting in many ways. It's just, yeah. we don't call it that because we love the church and don't think about it that way, but it was just, that's what it was. Um, and then, and you know, they said the AP story had tons of flaws and we're like, what are those? So then the church in this release tries to say what they got wrong, <clears throat> which is still fine, but it's like, they're picking a bone with AP and the reporting. And there's like so little compassion. And even on top of that, some stuff this came from Twitter, but as far as I can tell, looking at some court documents, I mean, the, the first thing they say is that like Paul Adams made a limited confession about a single incident of abuse to a child. And there's court statements with people saying he admitted right to the Bishop. Like, no, this has happened like many times. Yeah. Like it, like that directly contradicts exactly what's happening here. 
that is so frustrating to me because I love the church, but I don't know why. I know, I know because PR is being run through lawyers and that's what's right. happening right now. But it's like, you guys, if we can dig it up very easily through court documents to, to contradict exactly what's going on, that just makes us look so duplicitous. I know we don't intend to be. I know there's people, everyone's got good hearts going into this, but it's like someone who actually works in PR who can like has enough weight to throw around needs to step up and say, folks, this is going to like blow back in our faces really, really bad if we keep lawyering the entire response to this thing. Like we've got to show some compassion and some contrition. Well, um, I would, I would think in these cases as well, but again, um, you know, my mom worked at church offices for a while. And one of the things that president Nelson came in and said is this has to change. The makeup of the employees has to change. We are looking at a bunch of old white men, right? Like that's who's running church offices. And he, and I, and I think probably with this publicity team and these lawyers, we're looking at the same thing, old white men who are digging their heels in and, you know, and I'm like, where, let's find some different people. Like you said, a PR person, maybe one who's a woman who's going to feel very different about this and present it very differently. And, and I don't know. Like, um, like BYU's Carrie Jenkins. This like BYU's perfect. Carrie Jenkins. Did she come it's on your show? for her. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. So. I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting to have some different voices in there and maybe that would make a difference as well that I don't know, I guess, cause I, I know so many old LDS men now that, you know, they kind of dig their heels in a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I, maybe some younger blood would be beneficial and in, in doing these kinds of things. And I'm like, whoever you have for PR should be fired. Like that should just be number one. Uh, this was a terrible response. Uh, you guys should and I've said, it, else. I, I've said it before, folks, but for the most part, Michael Otterson, who used to run church PR for a long time, he's moved on, ran a pretty tight ship, I would yeah. say, did a good job. And I feel that there has been a noticeable decline in the in that quality since he left. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you got one person who's just so well suited for what you're doing. You can't keep him forever. I don't envy anyone who's trying to like head up public affairs for a large global organization. I get all that, but uh, we need someone of that ilk to step in once more and be able to kind of move things uh, just a little bit better of a way. No one's asking, I think, for just like no risk. People just want the church to show just like a little bit, like just show more accountability instead of always saying like, we do, we're doing everything right. No one does it. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Please don't think we don't take this seriously. Like we know the church takes it seriously, but at the same time we, we can walk and chew gum. We can say, yeah, we take this seriously and stuff's gone wrong. Let's fix it. Let's do better. Yeah. Yay. Do better. Moving on. That, that would be my message. Do better. Do better in all this stuff. You've got to, we've got to fix it however we can and do better. Yeah. So like you said, we'll see what happens with that. I know as time goes on, I'll do some quick mentions here, folks. Uh, to those of us who are like me and randomly follow temple uh, groundbreakings and things like that, we've got a couple of them, one of which I don't have in here. First one I'll mention, Ephraim Utah Temple going up, folks, over the weekend. Ground broken, and President Nelson surprised everybody by showing up for the groundbreaking. That old scallywag. <laughs> the surprise guest. That's hilarious. Shows up. He's like, give me the golden shovel. It's mine. <laughs> give it to me, Dieter. Um, so that happened. And then all, but all, and of course, that temple, I think, is impossible to divorce itself from the fact that that temple exists because of all the blowback about what was going to happen to the Manti temple last year. The whole reason that temple exists is because of that. So it's kind of, yeah. it'll always kind of be tied to that. But um, the second temple in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, way down on Lubumbashi, which is way down on the southeastern little wedge of the DRC, like right closer to Zambia, much farther removed from Kinshasa and like the other main population centers. But it is the second largest city, I believe, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Anyway, uh, they broke ground over this last weekend for a temple there. And there's a third one also announced for the DRC. So like I just love seeing what's happening in Africa, man. It is just, uh, if you look at a map right now of temples announced for under construction in Africa, it's just like a wall of temples going up all over the place. So, Which is very cool. That was very, very cool. Also, because I have nothing to say about it, but everyone, longtime fans of the Utah Jazz might be familiar with one Thurl Bailey, former NBA star turned convert to the church. Well, <clears throat> the big T, everybody made his debut with the Tabernacle Choir the other week. What? Thurl Bailey's in the Tabernacle Choir? No, everyone, no, everyone. 
as awesome as that would be, because I'd love to see where they'd put a guy as tall as, you know, as an NBA height person, because they're so big, they'd like block the singers behind them. Like, how do you not make him conspicuous if you actually have someone at that height? But anyway, um, he's got to be an audience greeter before music and the spoken word on Sunday, August 21st. So last week's music and the spoken word, which is great. So he didn't sing. He didn't replace Lloyd Newell. He just, uh, Got to get up there and welcome people to the conference center to sit down for the weekly broadcast. It's not even clear to me whether or not he was recorded in any part of that. It seems like it was just to say, nice to see you, folks. Please sit down. We're about to do this thing, you know, the longest running radio program in what U.S. history, whatever that that metric is that we tout uh, frequently. But folks, if you love Thurl, you know, get yours. It's going to be good. I know you love Thurl Bailey, Soraya. That's yeah, why I, I, I was telling Jeff before the broadcast here, I don't even know who that is. Like, he's like, Thurl Bailey. And I'm like, what? I don't get it. So, oh, oh Thurl aware. Bailey. Look, I get it. When you're a jazz fan, you've, you've I respect jazz fans. <clears throat> you know, the jazz have had some great seasons, plenty of not great seasons. There was the good run there with Stockton and Malone and all that stuff. You got to be a believer. To I know them. Jazz. I know Stockton and Malone. But, you know, it's kind of like on Parks and Rec where they had Detlef Shrimp, and I had no idea who that was. That is such a funny episode, though. Yeah, but, you know, they're like, Detlef Shrimp, and I'm like, who is that? So I had to look it up because I didn't know. So my favorite – this is is a waste of time. But my my favorite shot in that episode is when they show them partying in the club, and they do this one shot where you see all of Detlef standing there. And then Tom Haverford is in front of him, but it just cuts off his face. So all you see are like his yeah. eyes and up and all it's, it's like, they don't, I like it. Cause they don't show the question that was asked. He just says, Oh, about six ten, And then <sighs> Tom Haverford just goes, I'm five, six. <laughs> then it ends. It's a great show. That's a great show. Also, everyone this today at the time of recording on the 28th, um, the Piano Guys performed with the Tabernacle Choir for Music and the Spoken Word, which is actually a pretty cool collaboration. If you haven't followed them, uh, you know, you've got um, John Schmidt and Stephen Sharp Nelson, both accomplished musicians in their own right. They teamed up years ago. You might remember years ago, they took YouTube by storm with all their interesting covers and music and the cool music videos they were doing as the Piano Guys became very famous for this. So it's pretty cool. They got to sit down and uh, team up with the Tabernacle Choir to bring it together. That was great. They did this. I mean, it was super cool. Uh, Tabernacle Choir's president had nothing but great things to say about him. They're like, these are guys who just exude positivity and hope. We are thrilled to collaborate with them. I did not listen to it myself, but I would love to see uh, what they would do. I saw them perform once at like the, uh, I think the DC Temple Visitor Center. There's a large mm-hmm. theater there. It was great. Super That's great cool. guys. And, uh, and anyone who's been a missionary in the late 90s or early 2000s knows John Schmidt because you all know Waterfall. And you all want to know how to play it. You all, Sarai's nodding her head. She knows. I'm nodding along to be polite. I don't know. Oh, come on. I don't. I'm sorry. Well, sound off, friends, if you know about Water. It's it's a classic. Check out Spotify. Those are some of my short ones. I'm done with those now. Okay. So are we going to get into this? People who've read the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon? <laughs> sure, let's do it. All right, so I gotta, I gotta, yeah, I, uh, so, you know, we're doing these shows, Jess puts these links up, and and I had something else to do, but I'm like, I should probably read some of the stuff that I'm not aware of, and I read this one, and it is the, it is a man's uh, obituary that was, showed up in, like, the Herald, and Deseret, and all these local papers, right, and it is probably the strangest obituary I've ever seen, um, <laughs> I don't even know like really what to say. Like, I think you'd have to read it, but probably the most significant thing is that he said he read the sealed portion of the golden plates. Um, he represented the Winklevoss twins against Zuckerberg. Yeah. Like, this is the greatest. Cool. Eight, it's the greatest, like eight paragraphs of obit that I've ever yeah, read. Like, Cause it starts off in one place. Right. Like, I'm just like, Oh, this poor man died. And Oh, look, he kind of wrote his own things about, you know, I went to the temple and I'm, I'm like Adam and, all this stuff. And then, Oh, by the way, guess what? <laughs> you know, I belong to the real Illuminati. And you know, I think, I think it starts off in the second paragraph. Cause he's like, you know, I received a witness. The book was true. I dedicated my life to his church until I was excommunicated for apostasy after reading the sealed part of the same golden plates. Right. And you're, like, so, you're like, wait, what? 
What? Yeah, so I went looking for it and it was, it was difficult to find, but I'm like, okay, I have to know more about this and what's going on. So I looked him up, you know, guy went to BYU, went on a mission, got married, had four kids, lived in like, I think Connecticut, wrote a book for the church, wrote a book called, uh, where is it? The Ziezrom Syndrome, Let Your Spiritual Awakening Begin. That was 16 years ago. So, you know, good, faithful, active member. And by his own account, what ended up happening was they had the missionaries over for dinner one night and, or no, I think the missionaries were staying with them. They were living with them. Like they had an extra room and they were talking about the sealed portion and they're like, well, has anybody, is there any info about the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon? So he went online and he found a book about it. And this book that he found changed his life. And he joined this movement and left the church and his wife kicked him out and, you know, he got divorced and he's now, from what I can see on Facebook, remarried to a woman who believes this same stuff he believes. Uh, I guess, I, you know, if you're going to go in all in on the crazy, you should find somebody who wants to be married to you in it. Um, but yeah, that there's, I tried to read the website and from what I could figure out, it was, you know, that there's a, a group of people, the Illuminati, and they are dictating all of human civilization. And uh, the Book of Mormon is actually written by them to be counter to the Bible. And Joseph Smith stole it. And they're very angry about this. So they're very angry at the church. So they're yeah. very against the church. Um, but apparently there's a guy named Chris Namelka. I may be saying his name wrong, but claims in 1986 that he had a vision. He was a security guard at Salt Lake Temple, had a vision from Joseph Smith who told him that he was a reincarnation of Hiram Smith and that he was to be called upon to write the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. So he did so, not a translation. He didn't, you know, he said that's not what Joseph did either. Joseph made it up too. We're doing it for the same reasons. Um, very interesting to read his history. He's basically admitted that it's all garbage, but his followers call him the true messenger. He's a reincarnation of Hiram Smith. To the point that this is the part that kills me. So Ida Smith, Ida Smith is the great, great granddaughter of Hiram Smith, Joseph's brother. I mean, her, I think her family lineage is fascinating. I was looking that up. Joseph Fielding Smith is her father, not the prophet. He's, he was the patriarch and he was the patriarch that was let go for homosexual behavior. Yeah, um, yeah. Not that he was, cause he was gay, but because he was sleeping with other men while he was married. Um, and it, I mean, George Albert Smith's account of it was just kind of heartbreaking and he, the love and compassion they had for him. And he came back into full fellowship in the church, you know, yeah, we actually have an article died. about that on our, on our website, folks. Yeah. So that was yeah. her father and, you know, his father and mother were Hiram and Ida um, Smith. And what ended up happening when they were in their forties, I think Hiram was 45, he had a ruptured appendix and he died. And then Ida died like six months later in childbirth. So Joseph F Smith is Hiram's father. And he was so devastated to lose his son and his daughter-in-law in this space of time. And she was giving birth to their fifth child. And these children are, you know, parentless. And that's when he had the revelation about the next, the afterlife, what goes on in the doctrine and covenants thing. So I'm like all very fascinating stuff. So I got, got rabbit holed down that, but so yeah. Ida is Hiram's great granddaughter and this Chris Namelka guy got her condor, right? She gave him a plot in the Smith burial ground. He's erected a tombstone there because that's where he's going to be buried because he is Hiram Smith reincarnated. And this poor woman, her, I guess her and her brother said, don't do this. Don't give up your eternal exaltation for a con artist, you know? And she did. Poor Ida was, was led astray and she has since passed, but he's still out there and getting converts. And uh, he was into polygamy for a while and was married to Vicki Prunty, who is one of the founders of Tapestry of Polygamy, that group that saves women from polygamy. She was in a polygamous marriage with him for a while until he said, well, I don't actually believe it. I just want to be in polygamy. So I don't know. The whole thing was just really fascinating. He was in prison because he threatened to kill his ex-wife. He kidnapped one of his kids. Um, and uh, from prison, he basically said, yeah, I'm, I'm very manipulative. I'm very good at fooling people. And people are basically pretty stupid and malleable, especially Mormons. Um, this is all made up. I know it's garbage. You know, it very much like, yeah, none of this is true, but has a whole movement. And I, I just, I'm like, this man's last act on earth, this guy with the obituary was to make sure to try to, and Ida, Ida Smith did the same thing. Her obituary, if you read it, is talking about the same stuff. The true messenger come to this website. Like they're, they're using their final moments to try and recruit. Um, huh. And this guy in his obituary has got an email for his wife. I was very tempted to write. And if 
if I had had some time, I think before this, if I looked at it, I probably would have written her just to find out because I'm now very curious. But oh, you should give us a special done, report. Please yeah. give us a special report. Yeah, Chad Daybell David- stuff, man. Like, you know, you just get so far up your own stuff and believing the weirdest garbage. Because, you know, I get it. I get that it's human nature, that we want to know the mysteries of the universe. We want to, we're special. I mean, in some degree, do we not have that in our church, right? We're the ones with the truth. We're the ones with, you know, the secret to life and and how it all works. And um, so I get it. But by the same token, I'm like, the stuff these books say and the kind of, it's so weird and how easy it is for them to lure people. And apparently Ida Smith had a phone conversation with Elder Holland that she recorded, um, which was also like hilarious. And just one of the things to quote Elder Holland, and I agree about this Chris the Melko guy, he's like, the guy's a wacko. It's just, he's not in touch with reality. Yes, Elder Holland, I would agree with you. Uh, I mean, he's claiming to, you know, walk with the three Nephites and that John the Beloved and he have conversations. And I don't know. I, it's the, the fanaticism is interesting to me. It is interesting to me how people who are given the truth and are raised in it, how quickly they fall and how quickly they are tricked into something like this. Like, it's not even hard, you know. Uh, people get led astray by this stuff all the time. And it's just, it, it's just sad. Jeez. I love this deep dive you have done. I did. I read so many articles. Like I'm sitting here closing him right now. This guy is nuts. And you know, he's even this Chris Namelka guy, his, his pictures are all of him, like in a white tunic with his long hair. Like I'm like, obviously invoking Jesus. Right. But I'm like the Hiram Smith tombstone just kills me, especially, especially because it was a PR stunt. The guy with the obituary was a lawyer. He's Chris Namelka's lawyer. So he yeah, went yeah. and spoke for him at this when this happened because, you know, he had a right to it. Um, he has a website on there. I mean, obviously, he's publicity stunt this website out, right? The website doesn't even work anymore. The website on the tombstone is no longer active. And well, I so think that is the it. funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But I'm like, if you're going you to engrave it in stone, you got to keep the website up, dude. Like, you just- yeah. Once you buy a domain, you're pretty much committed to renewing it for the rest of your life. Right? Put something in place. I, mean, I don't know. I But yeah. So I'm like, you're going to engrave it on stone. I feel like you should probably keep the website. Just my own personal opinion. But yeah, I it's just a, a warning to me and how easy it is to fall and how quickly it can happen and how one charismatic, power-hungry nut job can basically lead everybody else astray. So... It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the sad, uh, this is that last line you said, one charismatic nut job can lead the people astray. And uh, the sad thing is I can, I know many people who would hear that and say, who are against the church and would be like, that's also Joseph Smith. And I, of course, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, yeah, one, uh, one person's prophet is another person's lunatic in many ways, right? Right. So and yeah. I, again, going back to, you know, I was thinking about the thing that you said about the BYU professors, because I had a professor who was forced to quit when I was at BYU and he was a history professor and he is the one who taught me about Joseph Smith. And it was the, the Bushman biography, the, the, the Rolling Stone one. Roughstone Rolling. Roughstone Rolling. Yeah. Um, and I was very upset when I was in college and I read that because, you know, this was not the Joseph Smith that I had been taught about. Right. And that professor was the one who helped me see he's a man. He made mistakes. He misunderstood things, you know, and like something that was just kind of thrown at my husband recently by one of his siblings was, you know, that Joseph Smith, like David sent men off on missions and then married their wives. And I had never even heard that before. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go read about that. And so I spent a whole afternoon researching that. And again, it's like people do not understand, they do not know the mindset of what was going on, that Joseph actually was not really practicing polygamy, that what he was practicing was polyandry, that in his attempt to seal everyone to each other, he was marrying other men's wives. And not that he was sleeping with them, they were living with their husbands, it's just he was connecting people. And yes, there were women that he did impregnate, but you know, there's an argument, but there's no children. All the women that he's supposed to have slept with, there was never a child. And it's like, 
that would have been a big deal. And even the, there's one who thought she was, whose mother told her, Joseph Smith is your father. And they've mm-hmm. since tested her tent. They've tested the DNA of her offspring and they're not, they're not Joseph Smith. So yeah, I, it was very interesting. And, you know, like one of the people they pointed to, I think it was Orson Pratt that it happened with that he married a wife two years into Orson's mission. But then Orson came back and lived with his wife, had two more children with her. They actually got divorced because she got mad at him about something. They got divorced, but then she got herself sealed to him before, after he had died. So I'm like, obviously there was a love match there. Obviously there was, you know, they had a relationship that had nothing to do with Joseph. I don't know. So it's people take things and they twist them. And I'm like, none of that's true. There's one time it happened and it's not even what you're thinking. So I don't know. I know people really come down on him, but I feel like nobody tries to understand or read or do any research just some anti says something and they're like i'm leaving the church you know i i don't know it's very strange to me i think because i had that education i'm very grateful for that professor and it's very sad to me that he was fired and was not brought back because i thought he taught me to think in a way that was made me more open and understanding and i thought you know for joseph being taught about the ceiling power wouldn't it kind of make sense to do it the way he did it I'll, I'll seal myself to all of you and you're all sealed to me. And now we're one big family, you know, like that, that makes sense. And of course the Lord has to come down and say, no, no, not like that. That's not how that works. You know, they did the same thing with baptism. They were baptizing each other like every week, like everybody got baptized every week. I thought, which is a great deal. But you know, again, the Lord says, no, no, that's not how baptism works. So I just feel like early saints were just trying to figure this stuff out and practice it without having the whole diagram and doing their best. And sometimes it led to some weird stuff, but it didn't make them like bad people or I don't know. It's not worth, it's not worth leaving the church over. Like it's just very strange to me. Yeah. Um, in other sad news, since we're talking church history in particular, uh, Kate Holbrook, who was a noted Latter-day Saint historian, especially a champion of uh, Latter-day Saint women's history, uh, kind of unexpectedly, at least to those who didn't know, passed away. She was only 50 years old. She passed away from some form of uh, eye cancer, which is not something you hear about very often. Yeah. But first of all, kudos to Trent Toon of the Deseret News, because the article he writes about her is about her and her professional and academic accomplishments. And it's only at the very end does it do the, you know, because we've talked in the past of sometimes stories about LDS women lead off with like the family part of it before even discussing anything else. That just happens at the end. This is legitimately an overview of the life of an exceptional woman, a fantastic researcher, someone who has a terrific body of work that will be sorely missed, that it won't be continuing anymore. I mean, she was only 50. Um, so I just, it's long. I encourage you all to read it. We'll link to it there. I think it's one of the better ones I've read. Has plenty of notes from other uh, thinkers in the LDS history space. Um, most people are shocked and heartbroken by this. Everyone who knew Kate Holbrook adored her. Uh, she wrote and or edited fantastic books like At the Pulpit, which is uh, 185 years of discourses by Latter-day Saint women. She helped put together the first 50 years of the Relief Society, which were key documents for just women in church history. When we had a, uh, what was it, one of those face-to-faces, they used to call it, back like four years ago, the one in Nauvoo that had Elder Cook of the Twelve, and um, historian Matt Groh Hallbrook, I believe, Yes. Um, anyways, they were there at Nauvoo to talk about church history, and Elder Cook singled her out as he said he wanted to bring a woman along to talk about this and brought her along because of her faith, because of the rigor of her academic work. Um, just it's a real blow to the to this part of LDS history uh, and that she will no longer be with us and uh, acting in that capacity. So I think it's definitely worth your time to read more about her if you're not familiar with her and her work. And uh, realize how much she leaves behind and hoping that there will be others who pick up the baton in her absence. Is it me? Sorry. If you want. I'm just just listening. uh, I mean, it's it's the really bad one we have to talk about because it just happened. You know, the BYU volleyball competition against Duke that one of their starting players was a black athlete. Yeah. Yeah, and that she, I guess what happened, and I'm actually pretty active on Twitter, so I see a lot of stuff on Twitter, is that her her godmother posted about it, and it went viral, and it was, like, everywhere. It was trending on Twitter. It's still trending on Twitter. Um, you know, and, and it, some guy in the, the student section was yelling the N-word at this player. And, like, I'm so appalled. 
I, I, I don't understand, like, not just that someone was doing this, which is bad enough, right? Like, that it was happening. But what the heck with the people around this dude? I'm like, really? I'm like, my husband would have stood up and said something, you know? I mean, I would have made him because I, I, as a woman, I'm not going to confront some man who might try to attack me, but I'd have used my husband to do it. Like, you know, go stop that guy. Um, and the fact that they, they knew something was going on, they sent a police officer to the bench, you know, that there was enough concern that they sent security over, but they didn't escort the person out, which I don't understand. Um, and now they're saying that person is banned from future games. And, and BYU did make a statement, which, you know, like you were saying beforehand, to their credit, made a statement because sometimes they don't. But, you know, how do we, I think as a people, how do we stop this kind of stuff? You know, how do we not let this be the image the world has of us? When people say Mormons are racist and then this happens, you know, how do you, well, we're not actually, and people don't feel this way. This is a outlying person who wasn't even a student you know what do you what do you do for this what do you do to stop it from happening again and and where was the accountability this this bothers me too not just that BYU didn't do it but why didn't the coaches say something why didn't the Duke coach say we are not playing in an auditorium where this is happening stop the game let the ref stop the game do something to bring like you know this girl should be safe she should be protected I'm like I, that cannot be easy being in a room like that and having these things being yelled at you that is got to be terrifying so she didn't know what's going to happen to her safety and whether or not she would be okay or people going to start throwing things at her. I, I wish there'd been more accountability from the school, from the teams, you know, that somebody had stepped up and said something and stopped it. And I don't know, but I, I think going forward, I, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but I no, was you're... reading Alma 26 the other day and it just really powerfully struck me because we know about the Nephites and Lamites being enemies, right? These brothers having a fight and it goes on and on. But as I was listening to it, I started thinking, you know, who are our Lamanites? You know, and people might say, oh, it's, I don't know, Muslim terrorists or, you know, communists in Russia, whatever it is. Like, right, we've had different Lamanites throughout the centuries and people that we would consider our enemies who want to harm us and take away our way of life. And I'm listening to it and I'm like, that's not who the Lamanites are. It's, it's not a foreign threat. You know, these are brothers. These are, these are people that, you think in some way threaten your way of life, whether they be a different race, whether they be queer, whether they be, you know, whatever it is, it's something like that. And that, you know, with, with then the brothers are talking to each other, you know, Ammon says what the people wanted is they said, let's just wipe them out. Let's just kill everybody. That's the solution. There's, there's no saving them, you know, let's just move on from that. And that their solution was no, you know, let's go over there and love them. Let's go over there and, teach them the gospel and teach them about Christ and see what we can do. And I mean, obviously the work they did was phenomenal and I, it really struck me. And it was funny because, you know, I, I bookmarked where I was at and the next day I started up my audio when I was in the car and it went back to chapter 26 and I almost kind of felt like the Lord was saying, you need to listen to this again. This is important. So yeah. um, I, I kind of was thinking about this, this situation with that and you know, that how are you supposed to bring people to Christ when you're calling them horrific names because you're a racist? Like it's just, I don't know. I don't even know if this man's even LDS, if it's just happens to be this really racist person. You know, we don't know anything about the, the fan who did it. But, you know, I guess the cougar boards, everybody was saying, that didn't happen. I was there. That never happened. And I'm like, well, it must have happened because BYU wouldn't have put out a statement if it didn't, right? Like, they'd have been the first ones to say, oh, no, that didn't happen. You know, we wouldn't let something like that happen. So it obviously did. But the fact that people rush to, you know, you don't have all the facts. You don't know. It's very loud and I don't know. I, it's it's difficult for me because I, I don't know. I just, I grew up in a really diverse area. So this was never like an issue for me. Like it just, people are people and you just love them no matter what. Um, but, you know, like I said, going back, we've talked about the real world when I was watching that with, you know, the Mormon Julie Stauffer on it. Yeah, and they, yeah. they showed stuff from 20 years ago. And she said the most racist things that I thought 20 years ago, I wouldn't have said wouldn't even occurred to me. I would have known back then that it was horrifically racist. And she just said them like it was nothing, you know? So I thought there's still pockets of that. And I don't know how we, we excise that. I don't know how we get rid of that other than waiting for the generations to die, like Moses going into Jerusalem, right? You got to kill all the old Israelites off before you can let the new ones end the kingdom. That's, I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, I think about, you know, the, the council to mourn with those who mourn in that sense, because we weren't there. It's easy to, you know, 
to to quarterback this stuff after the fact. But why did they not stop the game? Why didn't BYU students stand right. up and defend somebody? That's what we right. say. That's what we believe in. And like you said, the worst thing about this is if you look at Twitter. Well, the worst thing about it is all the inaction that you mentioned. But if you look at Twitter. People are instantly tying this to them to to old church history, and you say, and people are saying, "You see, BYU is racist because the church has a history of racism." We're going to jump from A to B to C, and we're going to show how this is just another in a series of racist incidents because this is what the church actually supports. Right. And that is the thread people are able to to try to put together because we're a little slow on dealing with it because we're not standing up courageously in the moment, which I get is like a hard thing to do. Nobody right. wants, a lot of people don't want to be that person where you have to like cut it out, but that's what we stand for. That's what we're supposed to stand for. And also to their credit, other than the statement before another event, I think yesterday, um, BYU's athletic director, Tom Halmo addressed fans and attendance before the game for like two minutes and just straight up like said like look stuff goes through me i have to be accountable to what happened here but there was there was a slur last night this is wrong i think he pretty much owned it and also decried what it was which is a great response absolutely excellent response which is what should be happening and yeah. it is, it, it, you said it's hard in the moment it's scary in the moment you know but i think as saturday saints that we have to we have to do that and i i've spent a lot of time in the past few months with women in hollywood I've been talking to a lot of writers and producers and um, just getting to, to interview them and talk to them. And it's been really fascinating and how much of the stuff that happened to them and has happened in the past is because no one will speak up. They see it yeah. happening, but they, they say nothing. And a lot of times it's because they're afraid for their jobs, but I thought people have to speak up. We have to say something, especially as Latter-day Saints, we have to say when we see injustice and inequity, things like that happening, I feel like we, are responsible to do something about it. Yeah. Amen to that. So one admit, let's, let's just do more. That's all I can say about that. Uh, since we're on BYU, real quick one here. Uh, this is just like classic freaking comment sections on Facebook for things. This is like a nothing story. The church news put out BYU's fall devotional and forum schedule, which is those things they do on Tuesdays at BYU in the Marriott Center. Great, great stuff all around. A wonderful opportunity to learn, be spiritually fed, intellectually fed, all that good stuff. <clears throat> Here's the issue, though. Amongst the uh, general authorities and other luminaries who will be speaking, they, they've dared in October to have Paul Cox, an American ethnobotanist, and in November to have Catherine Hayhoe, which is a great last name, by the way, Hayhoe, um, who is a clients, a climate scientist, speak in the forum. And the comments on Facebook because of these two scientists, you know, remember like enter to learn BYU? That's the whole thing that you have outside. Enter to learn. Uh, people are freaking out as if the church is just like employing leftist wackos who completely overlooking the fact i love someone has a quote from like dallin h oaks specifically talking about how how climate issues are important because they're going to threaten the prosperity and stability of the world and we should care about them from a general authority there's not much more to say about this other than i just think it's like you know church news followers thank you for coming through as we expect you to when even the the, the faintest whiff of something such as being responsible stewards of the earth might come our way. And literally it just says climate scientist, nothing else about her. I mean, people might've looked it up and might be familiar with her. That's it. It doesn't like tell you what her topic is going to be in particular. I just, uh, just love our good people. I mean, she's a, let's see, let's look it up. She's a Canadian atmospheric scientist. She's an evangelical Christian. Is she like political? Is it like she goes out and does conferences? And I don't know. I don't even know what you'd be mad about. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry she for wrote, science. She wrote a chapter of a book by Newt Gingrich about climate change that was not included in his book. She's clearly not a, uh, you know, a woke leftist. Rad- yeah, a radical leftist who's out to, yeah. For all I, you know, she's going to show up and say the client, the climate is in fact not changing. Climate's fine. We're good. Everybody go uh, home. So that was just for a bit of a bit of bit of levity uh, on my part. Also, the other levity I got from the BYU, the terrible story with the volleyball, the event itself 
has a name. That that actual that actual match is actually called the DoTerra Classic. I I don't know if anything like with DoTerra can be called classic, just given the age of the company. I mean, you think of that for the PGA Tour stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, I just love that we have a volleyball match in in Provo called the doTERRA classic what could be more provo than that everyone i I love that we have the doTERRA classic and that's okay but a scientist coming to speak to the school is not okay i'm like so there are people where essential oils are good and science is bad (laughs) that kind of sums it all up right I don't understand. Science isn't going to help your downline, Soraya. I Science guess, is right? Not going to help your downline. I'm not going to make any sales that way. I'm sorry. I'm against essential oil. I think they're so stupid. But all right. <laughs> I I'm not standing against you. I yeah. I'm, I'm opening the door for you okay. to say whatever you I, want. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I know I have to be careful. I'm like I'm sure people are going to be listening. I'm going to get a call from a bishop at some point. But yeah, I I mean I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe lavender's nice. It's nice, but do I think it fixes a problem? I do not. I do not think there's oils that make you, you know, clear up your cold. I don't. I'm sorry. So I have it on good authority. You can get superpowers. Maybe that's the problem. I don't believe it. Oh, you got to take it more seriously. I got to be more faithful, I guess. All right, take us home. All right, so we've got. Tell me her name. Is it Reese or Rice? Jana Reese. Reese. Okay, I'm I'm bad with last names. So she did an article about how, you know, right now kind of Mormons are having a moment right on TV and streaming things and, um, you know, under the banner of heaven and uh, keep sweet documentary, which I watch. And I'm I'm like, I need to be on this show and not be controversial. I'm going to be controversial. I know we're not supposed to say this, but Warren Jeffs is straight up going to hell. Like that's just happening. I, I, everybody needs to know that he is the most evil man. (laughs) I, I was so appalled, but yeah, so you have like, you know, the documentary murder among the Mormons, um, the Lula rich, whatever thing that was, which I also watched and was fascinated by. Like, I just could not get enough of that. That was amazing. Mormon no more about, you know, people who left the church over the LGBTQ issues that, you know, that, they're dealing that, with. that one was actually kind of, that was pretty interesting. That I one. haven't watched that one yet. It's, it's on my it's a, list. I used to be an award with one of the, the protagonists. Okay. Out here That's in interesting. This doesn't mean much, but yeah, it's interesting to watch. It was only like when I watched, I was like, "Wait a second, I know you." Yeah. So I, the, you know, the article statement is basically coming out and saying, "So we're looking at this stuff, and we're feeling very persecuted, right? Like we're being." I mean, in yeah. some degree, I will tell you, I read this. I want to. I can't remember if it was like Salon or Slate.com, but it was one of those bigger sites, and they had a reporter who's LDS, and so his boss calls him in and says, "I want you to watch under the banner of heaven, and I want you to write about it because you're LDS. You know, give you a review." kind of from your perspective. And when the when the boss sent him the email, basically he had already watched it and said, I cannot think of another faith that they would be allowed to do this to. Yeah. That essentially that if they made this movie about any other faith in the world, it would have been yanked off the air because there would have been so much heat and protest and, you know, that it would have been, it, it was, you know, horrific. And so, yeah, but the point of the article is that's happening, but it's happening to everybody else too, right? The Orthodox Jews are having their moment. The Catholics are having their moment. You know, it's it's kind of, it's going after everybody. And because there is so much more that there used to be, like you, you know, talks about how a documentary, you know, you spend years making this one documentary and you'd maybe get in a couple of art houses for, you know, and that would be it. That would be the life of your documentary. Maybe you'd be nominated for an Academy Award if you were lucky and more people would see it, but that was sort of it. Well, now... You know, it's a mainstay everywhere. We've got so many streaming services. I think we pay for like five or six streaming services right now, just in our household. And so all that content has to come from somewhere. So it's it's kind of created this big, huge, explosive ability to make these kinds of shows that we might not have seen in the past because there's so many avenues for them to be, be shown in now. But are we being picked on unfairly? I mean, I know they can pick on... It's, you know, it's trying well, to find the... The hot angles for, I mean, like under the banner of heaven was, was not, it was like well made, but it was kind of sloppy. Right. Not just for being offended as a Latter-day Saint. It was just kind of sloppy. It wasn't super well done, but, but, but it probably succeeded in making us look bad if that was the purpose. So. Well, and I think at the point of the article was, you know, her asking, are you being persecuted, you know, or is it just, 
this is just kind of happening to all religion in general right now. That is, people are yeah. leaving their religions and attacking it. You've had you know a higher exodus from every faith that people are turning back and turning the camera on their old belief systems and feeling like they have to you know do something about it and say something about it. Um, I, I I will share something that is that I'm dealing with right now that um, in my industry that women who are conservative who write sweet romances are perceived a specific way. You know, there are, there are assumptions about our belief systems. There are assumptions about our politics and our morals. And there's a lot of canceling being done just based on the kind of book you write from people who don't write the same way. Um, and it's, it's difficult. And I've, I've spoken to like my agent about it and I'm like, is this a concern? Is this something that I'm worried about? And I think part of the article was kind of saying the same thing that, you know, being part of a conservative religion, even if your views are different, even if you are progressive, even if you are liberal, that you're going to be condemned and the faith is going to be condemned regardless because, you know, you are like this racist guy, you know, the BYU fieldhouse, right? Like it's just going to happen. So I think that was the, was the point. And, and I don't know. And I, I think Christ pretty much let us know that we would always be persecuted for his sake. Right. Like, yeah, that's, that's, par for the course, but, and I, I have to wonder how much of this is, that's a good way to say this. It's just, I don't know. You're just going to be painted with this brush kind of no matter what you do. And you have to, to move on and, and, and deal with it and, and know what's going to happen, but it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, and you know, that I think these people making these shows know, I mean, you can make a movie about Warren Jeffs, and you're not going to have FLDS people show up on your doorstep, right? Like they're not going to be protesting out in the media. Like it's just not going to happen. And yeah. so I think the same thing with the church that they know the Mormons are not going to go in mass and protest outside the studio. You know, how dare you make this movie? You know, we're not going to make a big campaign. We're not going to, you know, like maybe that another faith would. Um, so I, I, I think our church has been easier to mock over the years because of that. Um, because we won't, we're kind of like, you want to slap this cheek? Oh, here's the other one. You know, like we're not, I don't know. I think our reaction is not the same. And so I think we're just kind of seen as someone who's safe to make fun of because there, there won't be any uproar about it. And even other Christians will look at us and go, oh yeah, the Mormons are weird. Like we're not going to defend them. They believe weird stuff. So we need modern day Danites. That's what we're saying, folks. We got to get, we got to bring it back. I'm sorry, and I shouldn't say this either, but I love Porter Rockwell. I just think he's so awesome. Like I know he did not have great things <laughs> going on quote. for him. That's my favorite but, quote of the week. I'm sorry I shouldn't say this, but I love Porter Rockwell. I just I I don't know. I'm sorry. I have a soft spot for old warriors, and yeah, you know, he lived by his own rules and he did his own thing, and you know, he thought he was doing what was right, and not that I agree with what he did, but I don't know. He was just cool. We have Rockwell streets out here, you know, named after him, so. Well, yeah, I, I shouldn't mean, say that. Someone's gonna write me now and go, "How can you like that? He was bad. I know he was bad. I know there were bad things. I understand." Was Paul Rockwell bad? He was. Um, I mean, unless I mean, you've read Rough Stone Rolling. Unless you believe he truly did go when uh, when someone attacked uh, Lilburn Boggs, you know, Rockwell was involved in that uh, in, in the litigation surrounding that. But whether you think it. it was actually him, that's up to you, folks. Yeah, I, what's the Jay Golden Smith? You know, the one we love who makes all the jokes and, you know. I mean, Jay Golden uh, Kimball? Kimball, sorry. I was thinking about Smith. We've been talking about Smith so much today. Jay Golden Kimball. I thought Jay Golden Kimball is fun, but one of the reasons that he is the way he is is because he was a cowboy, right? Like, he lived in the West. He was a cowboy, and he spoke like a cowboy, and he drank like a cowboy, and, you know. Um, and I think Porter Rockwell kind of falls in that same category for me. You know, these were these were cowboys living in the Old West, and that's kind of how they live their lives. Yeah. I mean, a casual raid between friends. Killing some people that you're killing, you know, that's just, this is just how, just how things were folks. And you know, that's what we can say about that. You're good. Um, well, folks, let us know what you think about all of this. You know, shoot us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Uh, we hope you'll comment on our Facebook and Twitter with this post. Let us know uh, what you thought on the, the news of the day. Good things like that. And we hope you'll, of course, support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash This Week in Mormons. You'll notice there weren't really any ads accompanying this show. And that is because we pay for all the stuff we do from 
uh, donations from you fine listeners. So we hope you'll consider doing that. You should have been here 45 minutes ago. And I will give you my love. All right. (laughs) And I guess we're in good timing here. I guess we're in good timing. People interrupting me. They're looking for me. We're calling it. Anyway, uh, Soraya, of course, you can go to SorayaWilson.com. Keep, keep an eye out for her forthcoming work. Cinder Nanny's out now. I forgot what the new one is coming out. Chemistry of Love next year. There you go. Chemistry of Love next year. Uh, Soraya, it's nice to have you with us once again. Thanks for taking the time. Ah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening to This Week in Mormons. We'll talk to you again next week as we crawl towards our 600th show. Until then, I'm Jeff. This was Soraya. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.